0: Bayonet Point, WTBN, Pinellas Park. Portions of this hour have been pre recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries.
1: A man who did not at this point know that money and things had become his God, and that was what was keeping him out of the kingdom. Of heaven, So Jesus guided the conversation along these lines in order to show this rich young ruler that they these were the things, these were the specific obstacles in his life that had to be torn down before he could enter the kingdom of heaven. Remember why the man, folks, came up to Jesus, what he asked of him. He, he wanted to know from Jesus how to obtain eternal life. And Jesus, knowing the heart of this young man, gave him exactly what he needed to hear— He told him about the obstacles that needed to be torn down in his life before he could have eternal life.
2: Remember the rich young ruler in Matthew 19 who rushed up to Jesus, eager for the great teacher to tell him if there was something else he needed to do in order to receive eternal life? A lot of people would like to know the answer to that question. And do you remember the surprising answer Jesus gave him? Sell everything you own, give it all away and then you can follow me." Suddenly, the young man was not so eager. You see, the poor guy didn't understand God's incredibly high standards, and he didn't appreciate that his self-righteous claims to have kept the law perfectly were far from true. And finally, he didn't realize it until Jesus made that staggering demand that he had another God, and that he had placed that God higher than the Lord. That God is his money. Hello and welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today we move on to Pastor Steve's second sermon in this short series about the love of money. The young man in our text had three problems and he was oblivious to all of them. Pastor Steve has already covered two of them in part. Listen now as he digs a little deeper into those two hindrances and then moves on to the third thing that kept the young man out of God's kingdom.
1: I'd like you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 19. And we want to look at this passage that we started to get into last Sunday. Matthew 19, I want to start reading at verse 16 and take it all the way to verse 22. And someone came to him and said, teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? He said to him, why are you asking me about what's good? There is only one who is good, but if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. Then he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, all these things I've kept. What else? What am I still lacking? Jesus said to him, if you wish to be complete, Go and sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. But when the young man heard the statement, he went away grieving for he was one who owned much property. You know, at first glance, this man in the story, commonly known as the rich young ruler, really looked like a prime candidate to become a follower of Jesus. I mean, a prime candidate. Unlike many of his religious contemporaries who scorned Jesus and hated Jesus, this young man actually showed the Lord great respect. Great respect. Mark tells us that he was kneeling down before Jesus. And he also, Mark and Luke tell us that he called him good teacher, good rabbi. He showed him great respect. He was also very eager to receive spiritual help. From Jesus, we learn in another gospel that he was so enthusiastic and so excited to speak to the Lord that he actually came running up to Jesus to ask him what he needed to do to obtain eternal life. So he was respectful, he was enthusiastic, he was eager to receive spiritual help from Christ. In addition, he was a young man of exemplary religious character. Telling Jesus, in another gospel we read this, telling Jesus that from his youth, morality and obedience to God's commands had actually been his way of life, probably meaning from the time he was bar mitzvah, about age 13, to now he had been a moral, virtuous, upright man. We would call him a clean-cut youth. So he had a lot of things going for him. And when you consider all that this man had going for him, he really did look like an evangelist dream the kind of person every christian dreams about witnessing to because he seems so ready to receive christ as his savior it appears that all this young man needs is for somebody to sit down with him explain clearly to him the plan of salvation and he would be saved and i'm convinced that if this man had showed up in one of our evangelical churches today asking the same kind of question he asked Jesus. He very likely would have been ushered into an inquiry room, counseled to pray the sinner's prayer, inviting Jesus into his heart, then told he was a Christian and that now he needed to be baptized and become a member of the church. I am convinced that in most of our churches that would have taken place. But interestingly, Jesus didn't do that. He didn't evangelize this man the way most Christians would have. In fact, some would say that Jesus let the fish get away. Some would say that Jesus used some pretty poor evangelistic tactics with him. Some would say that if uh, Jesus was taking a class in Bible college on evangelism, he would have failed. Because he did everything the wrong way, or at least the way they teach you to do it. Think about how Jesus dealt with this young man. When well, the young man begins by complimenting the Lord. It was a sincere compliment. He called him a good teacher. What does Jesus do? Instead of saying, thank you, I appreciate your respect, the Lord rebukes him. He scolds him for calling him good. Mark and Luke tell us he called him good rabbi. Jesus did not receive that compliment. He corrects him by stating that only God is good. Now, how's that for tact and diplomacy? How's that for making this young man feel comfortable so that he'd open his heart up to you? He scolds the non-Christian. Next, instead of telling this man how to get to heaven by believing on him as Savior and Lord, Jesus tells him to keep the Ten Commandments, which sounds very much like salvation by works, rather than grace. And when the man says that he has kept all of them, which he really hadn't, but he thought he had, instead of of leaving it at that, Jesus tells him that he needs to do something else. He needs to sell all he owns and give the money from the sale to the poor, and then he could follow him. And finally, when this young man refuses to do this, and he begins to walk away from Jesus, the Lord lets him walk away. He doesn't go after him. He doesn't doesn't say, you've misunderstood. I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to make it sound quite that strict. He lets, as some feel, he lets the fish off the hook. That's not what most of us would have done. We would have never let such a promising candidate for salvation just walk away. We more than likely would have gone after him and said something like, let me rephrase what I just told you. It would be good... It would be commendable for you to sell all of your possessions and give the proceeds to the poor. But I don't want you to misunderstand. That's certainly not a requirement for you to be saved. All you need to do is believe on Jesus. Then later, if you want to do that stuff, fine. Now, I'm I'm convinced that most of us would would have done that, but Jesus didn't do that. Jesus didn't go after this man, and he certainly didn't change what he had said. He told him exactly what he needed to do to have eternal life. Sell everything you own, Give the money to the poor and follow me. And even though Jesus might have failed a modern-day course on evangelism, the Lord, being perfect, knew exactly what he was doing. So what was he doing? We want to know what he was doing. Well, as you recall from last week's message, we said that the purpose of this entire story, this, this unique story, is to point out the obstacles or the hindrances that kept this man from the kingdom of God. That's the whole point of this. It is designed by God to be a contrast to what Jesus had just said about the kingdom of heaven belonging to those who have childlike faith, childlike qualities in terms of humility and teachability and trust. Remember back in verse 14, Jesus said, Let the children alone and do not hinder them from coming to me, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. But the rich young ruler was a complete contrast. He wasn't like a child. He didn't have these qualities. He may have been respectful towards Jesus. He certainly was outwardly virtuous. He certainly had an interest in hearing about salvation, but he was a self-righteous man, absolutely self-righteous. He was proud of his morality. It didn't take him any time to, to answer back to Jesus, I've kept all of this. I've obeyed this. He was a self-righteous man, proud of his morality, self-sufficient, and deeply in love with his money. And the reason Jesus dealt with this young man in such a unique manner, and it really is unique, was because he wanted him to see his need for salvation he wanted him to see himself for what he really was, a man who did not understand God's holiness or goodness, a man who did not see himself as he should have seen himself as a wicked sinner in need of God's grace, and a man who, who did not at this point know that money and things had become his God, and that was what was keeping him out of the kingdom of heaven, And so Jesus guided the conversation along these lines in order to show this rich young ruler that they these were the things, these were the specific obstacles in his life that had to be torn down before he could enter the kingdom of heaven. Remember why the man, folks, came up to Jesus, what he asked of him? He, he wanted to know from Jesus how to obtain eternal life. And Jesus, knowing the heart of this young man, gave him exactly what he needed to hear, He told him about the obstacles that needed to be torn down in his life before he could have eternal life. Now, last week we looked at two of these obstacles or two of these hindrances. This morning before the Lord's Supper, we're going to look at the last one. But number one, here's the first obstacle he had. He could not have eternal life with his present view of God because, number one, he had a deficient view of God. He had a faulty misconception of God's character. This was very obvious by the way that he referred to Jesus. According to Mark and Luke, in their gospels, he called Jesus good teacher, meaning all he thought of Jesus was that he was an esteemed rabbi, good rabbi. And the Lord rebuked him for this by pointing him to the profound truth that only God is good. Notice verse 17. He said to him, why are you asking me what is good? There's only one who is good. Now, we don't want to misunderstand this. This man didn't think of Jesus as God. This man didn't even think of Jesus as the Messiah. All he thought of him as was an esteemed, noted rabbi, and yet he was putting him on the same plane as God. Now, in reality, Jesus is God, but this man didn't know that. What Jesus is saying in essence to this man is, you think I'm just a man, and you call me good, which tells me that you don't understand that only God is good. See, what looks to us as a high compliment in calling Jesus good was actually a a real breach of, of Jewish religious etiquette. There is absolutely... No record in any of the ancient Jewish writings of a rabbi being referred to as good. There's none. In all of the ancient Jewish writings, there is no record of a rabbi being called good. Why? Because the Jewish people of that era understood that goodness, true goodness, is a moral attribute reserved only for God. They would never think of calling a man good. For example, Psalm thirty-four eight, which we just read a few minutes ago, said, Taste and see that the Lord is good. First Chronicles sixteen thirty-four, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. Goodness, pure goodness, is an attribute reserved only for God. It would be like somebody today, and I know this this takes place, but I'm not convinced that it is appropriate, but it would be like someone today calling an individual, you're awesome. You are so awesome when in reality, only God is awesome. Be very careful in throwing out awesomes. It's sort of the same thing as this. Now, the problem with the rich young ruler was that he had a very flawed view of of God's character as being perfectly holy and good. If he thought that a mere human rabbi was good, then he didn't understand God's character being good. And the Lord wanted him to see that his deficient view of God was an obstacle to his salvation because only those who see God as absolutely holy and good will then see themselves as sinners in need of a Savior. If God isn't holy, then folks, we don't have the gospel. If God is not holy, then it really doesn't matter if we're we're sinners or not. Big deal. Everybody's in the same boat. But the fact that God is holy means that sin has to be punished. So it is very significant. No one can be saved without an understanding, at least in some part, of God's holiness and righteousness and goodness. That was the first obstacle that this man needed to deal with. He needed the right view of God as the only one on the throne who is good. But secondly, another obstacle which was related to his view of God was his view of himself. He depended upon his good works for salvation. He had a deficient view of God's character. But secondly, what hindered him from the kingdom was he depended upon his own good works for salvation. Notice the end of verse 17. Jesus said, if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. Now, the Lord told him that if he wanted to be in the kingdom, he needed to keep the commandments. And then in verses 18 and 19, the Lord listed several of the 10 commandments commandments, and then he added a commandment from Leviticus 19. And all of them had a theme. They were all dealing with how to love other people. Now, the truth of the matter is that the rich young ruler, like all of us, was a lawbreaker, a vile lawbreaker, who inwardly, if not outwardly, but inwardly violated each of these commandments over and over and over again, like we all do. But the deepest of sincerity, he told Jesus that he had kept all of them. Notice verse 20. The young man said to him, all these things I have kept. All these things I've kept. What am I still lacking? You see, this man failed to see the wickedness of his own heart because he erroneously viewed sin as simply outward actions. That's all. Only outward performance. And since he didn't murder anybody physically, they thought he was all right. And since he he didn't commit physical adultery, he thought he was all right. And all the other things, he thought he was okay. Thought he was a good person. You see, he was depending on himself and his obedience to these commandments to get into heaven. He felt that he had done everything he knew to do. But now, he came to Jesus saying, tell me, there must be something I'm lacking. Because I still don't have assurance that I have eternal life. And that's the problem with those who try to work their way to heaven. They do not know how much is enough. That's the problem. Because nothing is enough. You can't, you can't work your way to heaven. It is by grace. He had no assurance of salvation. And that's why at the end of, of verse 20, he actually said to Jesus, what am I still lacking? What's he still lacking? In other words, Rabbi, you're, you're a noted teacher. You're profound. You're deep. Give me some law that I might have missed. Teacher, teach me. Give me some obscure commandment, some relatively unknown law tucked away somewhere in the Bible. Tell me some ordinance that I've overlooked because everything I know to do, I've done. Just tell me what is lacking and I'll do that too. That's what he's saying to Jesus. You're a noted rabbi, your miracles testify of your closeness to God. Tell me what's still lacking in my life. Tell me what God requires of me to enter his kingdom and I'll do it. And so Jesus proceeds to give him a commandment, but not something that's obscure, not something that's tucked away, relatively unknown. He tells him something that this man was very familiar with from the scriptures, a command that he knew, a command that he grew up knowing And the reason the Lord gave him this particular command was because in doing so, he was pointing out to him a third obstacle to his salvation. He had a deficient view of God. He depended on his good works for salvation. Third obstacle, he had an idolatrous devotion to riches and wealth. Idolatrous devotion. Look at verse 21, please. Jesus said to him, if you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. Mark includes something very interesting in his gospel account that Matthew leaves out. Mark tells us that before telling this young man to sell all of his possessions and give the proceeds to the poor, Jesus, this is found in Mark chapter 10, Jesus looked at this man and felt A love for him. What a tremendous statement. He loved this man. In spite of of the rich young ruler's self-righteousness and religious pride, Jesus loved him as he loves all unsaved people. He loved this man and he longed for him to be a part of his kingdom. I mean, visualize it. This man is respectful. He's on his knees before Jesus before the one he esteems as a noted rabbi. He's asking about eternal life. Jesus looks at him and just loves him and longs for this respectful, wealthy, ruler, successful businessman. He longs for him to be a part of his kingdom, but he couldn't be a part of his kingdom. Not at this point. He could not be a part of God's kingdom even though Jesus loved him. Desired for him to be a part of his kingdom, he couldn't. Why? Because he was already ruled by another king, money. You see, to enter God's kingdom involves submitting to God as king. This man could not submit, would not submit to God as king. He already had another king, his wealth. That's precisely why Jesus told him to sell all of his possessions and give the money he earned to the poor. You see, out of love for this man, out of concern for this man's soul, Jesus put his finger on the one area in his life that would make it apparent to him that he wasn't as good as he thought he was. He wasn't obedient to the commandments. By telling him to sell everything he owned and giving all his money to the poor, the Lord was actually confronting him with the last of the Ten Commandments He had given him other commandments, but he purposely left out the last one. You know what the 10th commandment of the 10 commandments is? The last one, you shall not covet. You shall not covet. That's what he's talking about here. Coveting speaks of those sinful inner attitudes, and they're totally inner. Of greed, discontentment, and lust that says, "I'm, I'm not satisfied with what I have. I want more, and I want to hold on to what I have. Jesus put his finger on the very issue of this man's life that was keeping him from the the kingdom. He was a covetous sinner and Jesus was pointing out to him his sin. You see, this man had said that he kept all the Ten Commandments that the Lord had mentioned, the ones about murder, adultery, lying, stealing, honoring parents, loving his neighbors as himself. And he sincerely felt that he really had kept all these because he had outwardly Obeyed them, and if you looked at this young man, you'd say, "What a virtuous young man!" And and if he was in one of our evangelical churches, we we would have asked him to be a deacon or an elder. The guy looked good. But the last of the Ten Commandments is different than all the others, because all of the other of the Ten Commandments. You have to obey outwardly and inwardly, but this last commandment is totally an inward attitude, coveting. The command to to not covet cuts us like no other commandment because it destroys our pretense, if we're honest with ourselves, of being pretty good. It exposes our deep sinful yearnings to have more and more, never being satisfied with what we already have, and whatever we have, we want to hoard and hold on to it and not give it away.
2: When I think of coveting, the image that usually comes to mind is the scene from Dickens' story, A Christmas Carol, where he described Ebenezer Scrooge. He said, oh, but he was a tight-fisted hand at the grindstone, Scrooge, a squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner. Scrooge was not a nice man, that's for sure. Nice people don't covet, do they? yeah they sure do in fact we're probably all guilty of that sin whether or not we keep it out of sight and that alone disqualifies us for heaven so praise god that he has given jesus to take our sins upon himself and pay the price for our many sins it was good to have you with us today for verse by verse pastor steve Kreloff is teaching from matthew chapter 19 Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. If you'd like to visit Lakeside, the address is 1893 Sunset Point Road in Clearwater. You can get more information by calling Lakeside at 727-441-1714 or visit the website lakesidechapel.com. If you want to catch up on previous broadcasts in this series or any of our other past programs, Go to the Message Archive page at versebyverseradio.org. There's also a giving page if you'd like to be a part of our support team. Your gifts and prayers are important to keeping verse-by-verse verse on the air. Another giving option is to give by phone by calling Lakeside at 727-441-1714. This is